Welcome to Rebels with a Purpose, powered by the voices of Catapult X, who are mobilizing capital, technology, people, and heart to solve the world's biggest challenges. In this podcast, we pose five questions to leaders who are changing the world and its systems. I'm your host, Kate Byrne, CEO of Catapult X. We're speaking with Lisa Carmen Wang, an angel crypto investor, entrepreneur, women's advocate, people and profit podcast host, and author of the Bad Bitch Business Bible. She is tapping into the very same persistence and determination that led her to be a four-time USA national champion and Hall of Fame gymnast to build a brighter future for women in business, all women in business. The founder of the Bad Bitch Empire, Lisa is particularly bullish on the opportunities for women in Web 3.0. Listen and learn why. Lisa Carmen Wang, angel and crypto investor, future author, serial entrepreneur, national award-winning gymnast. I mean, is there anything you haven't done? I'm just glad you are with us right now. Look forward to the conversation. I'm excited to be here. So, oh my gosh, you have done so much and left already such a huge legacy. What I'd love to do, and I always like to kind of get a peek into how people got to where they are and share with listeners, what's your journey been? Well, I always say my first career was as a gymnast because I spent over a decade training for that career, training to be the best. And that sport taught me how to be focused, how to be disciplined, how to commit myself to a 10-year vision and train day in, day out for something, even when I didn't feel like going to the gym, even when I wanted to quit. And I think that mirrors life. It mirrors entrepreneurship. It mirrors investing because so many of the best decisions um, or the best perspectives that people have have to be long-term. You often see people who are reacting and chasing shiny objects and chasing the next hot trend. And that is not how you build a powerful legacy or life for yourself. And so I think as a gymnast, one of the most important things that I learned was how to fall and get back up again. And this is what I call being unbreakable. You fall in front of millions of people as a gymnast, and you have to figure out how to overcome that humiliation and that shame and that failure and just get right back up and smile and keep going and keep going for gold. And I think that that taught me that I am unbreakable, that it doesn't matter how many times I fall. It doesn't matter how many times I fail. I always have the ability to turn that failure into fuel and turn it into something even greater. And so that process has taught me how to trust myself, uh, to believe that even if I make decisions and they might not be the, the right decisions for the time, that I can course correct um, I have the the strength and the the focus and the resourcefulness and creativity to figure things out. So I, I was a gymnast until I was 19 years old. And after I retired from the sport, I went to Yale University and studied literature. Um, and I've always loved to read. And, and I think that uh, it was funny because people thought like, what do you do with a literature major? <laughs> uh, how does that translate into any sort of practical career? 
And turns out a lot of the fundamental skills of observation, of putting like patterns together about human nature, of observing how characters overcome challenges and the the inner workings of so many diverse people within books, how they deal with conflict, that ability to observe and understand human psychology, as well as to be a great storyteller, I think is at the heart of so much of the work that I do in branding, in marketing, in speaking, in content creation. And so um, from that, you know, I took that major. I ended up going to China for a year to uh, after graduation on a fellowship to do research and intensive Mandarin. And I actually ended up doing financial research <laughs> while I was in China. Um, it was uh, focused on some of the on-the-ground local government vehicles and um, things that were happening there. And that's how I started my career in finance um, at a hedge fund in New York City where I focused on long-short equity. I was doing a lot of international research. Um, but what I realized pretty quickly was that I am not fit for a corporate role. There's a lot of uh, just like artistic creativity and impact that I wanted to make. And I couldn't do that in a setting where it, it was very hierarchical. So that's when I took the leap into entrepreneurship. And the first company I built that grew was SheWorks. And SheWorks is a global community that's still thriving now um, of over 30,000 female entrepreneurs um, with events and summits and a community platform. And that was acquired in 2019 by Republic. And Republic is a now $700 million crowdfunding platform that has its crowdfunding retail arm, it has its venture arm, and its crypto arm, of which I am heading up brand there and producing their Profit to the People podcast. So I've done quite a lot in a short amount of time from starting off in hedge fund space, uh, moving into the tech and learning how to build community, focused specifically on helping women get access to capital, and then parlaying that into uh, working directly with fintech companies, working with crypto companies to understand how we can infuse branding and storytelling to really help more people get access to financial technologies that retail investors haven't typically gotten access to. So I want to touch upon the female piece, definitely, mm -hmm. because, you know, we've had a couple of conversations with a few other folks and the, it keeps coming up. Oftentimes people say, oh my gosh, you know, I would give money to a female founder if, you know, it's just so hard to find them, especially in the tech space. And I completely disagree. It's not, they're everywhere. It's just getting people comfortable enough to actually back the female founders. Why do you think that is still an issue today? Yeah, well, first, I think it's complete BS that there are no female founders. Um, yeah. It just means that you are like staying in your little box and mm -hmm. not looking beyond your networks. I mean, really, the issue is like, if you look at the supply and demand, which is that the the supply of investors is still over 90% men. And there's pattern recognition and bias that has been built into the venture capital system that favors a certain kind of founder and says, like, if this person reminds me of this person, then success 
must follow. Mm-hmm. And so if I see a white man computer science from Stanford, he must be a much better founder than this black female founder who didn't go to a top school. But the thing is, she understands markets that that guy can never understand. And those markets have been completely underserved, completely undervalued. And I would argue that that is where the opportunity for financial return and impact comes from. I agree because to your point, that underserved piece, that's huge untapped. And that's where new and future growth is. So what advice would you give to female founders in terms of attitudes and or skills, attributes to really elevate and push forward? I mean, the very first thing, and this is actually what I'm writing my book about, it's it's kind of the fundamental core of the philosophy, which is recognizing your own worth as a woman. Um, the world which is very much still a patriarchal world when you look at who's running businesses and countries, um, has made women believe that our natural traits are weaknesses. Our natural powers are weaknesses. So where women tend to have incredible intuition, incredible empathy, incredible relationship building skills, they create cultures that support and foster belonging and all of that has often been seen as soft and weak. And for a long time for myself, I thought that my, I never, so for example, I never thought listening was a superpower. I never thought observation and intention, things like that were superpowers. It wasn't until someone pointed it out and they said, wow, Lisa, you're a really great listener. And I was like, I always thought that that was me not being extroverted enough me not being loud enough because we've been we've honored certain like very extroverted aggressive leaders and i was like wow how did i for my entire life think that that was just something wrong with me that i didn't speak up as much as everyone else so going back to your question then it's like i think at the end of the day with so many women that i've coached to help them fundraise to help them build their confidence and negotiate the right deals for themselves it is about walking into the room with an energy of knowing that you are the opportunity. It's not the energy of like, oh, I hope someone will give me money. I hope they'll give me the opportunity. It's like, I know what I bring to the table. And this is an opportunity for you to work with me, for you to join my journey. And if you don't see that, and if our values are not aligned, then there's no reason for me to be working with you. And I think that very, very subtle but powerful shift is something that Like, if you can master that, that changes any dynamic. I couldn't agree more that mutuality and recognition that, oh, by the way, this interview goes two ways. I got to see if you're worth my time. Mm -hmm. And I I think, you know, that I agree that that deep grounding in value would be so powerful and really intoxicating. And also, frankly, you know, the power of walking out, even though it is so hard because you need the money so badly. (laughs) Yes, if you believe that there are other opportunities. And I always say don't put your eggs in one basket, whether that's work, relationships, life, like diversify. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. In every possible way. Yeah. So, so true. So, Lisa, what do you think when you look back over the last five years, what have been some of the biggest surprises that 
you see or you encounter or you feel? I mean, there's there's a lot of different things from the personal side as well as just from the industry that I've seen. I don't even know if it's a surprise for me, but perhaps the magnitude in the industry of what we call the retail revolution, the retail investor revolution, which is how quickly technology has made investing accessible to so many people, regardless of income, age, experience, gender, race. And that's something that you see happening in the, the public markets, you know, with everything that happened with the GameStop, AMC, and realizing that people really do have the power. And when you look at what's happened in the crypto space and blockchain, it's there is a fundamental shift in who has the power. And then how that reflected in society with Black Lives Matter, with Me Too that happened, with Stop Asian Hate. People are recognizing that their voices have power and that that can move markets. And so I think it's, in some ways, it was something that I was hoping for that was inevitable. But I think with COVID, how quickly that brought on these waves and waves of waves of typically marginalized groups saying like, we've had enough and we are not going to sit around and allow these large institutional structures that have been governed by a small homogenous group of people to continue to dictate and have the power. And so I think that seeing how quickly that has spread has been a pleasant surprise. Um, but I think what, what will remain to be seen is like, how do we then harness this energy, this revolutionary energy and turn it into something that can actually produce change, that can actually distribute wealth in a way that um, helps more people. So to that end, I've always thought clearly, I, I think that's where the female superpowers comes into play, right? The collaboration, the co-creation, the, I'm going to say the situational humility, the understanding mm -hmm. that there's something larger than just me. Do you believe that women will play a leading role and there'll be a shift in uh, from a sort of more patriarchal, hierarchical uh, system and that women have a stand a greater chance right now in certain industries? So say maybe it's climate, maybe it's reimagining, you know, the financial markets. Are there areas where you think women can really step up and play a, a larger role Maybe because others don't want to go because it is so risky. So we kind of have to pick up the sloppy seconds, as it were. Yeah. I mean, I think that one inevitable trend that's going to happen is like the focus on sustainability. Yeah. Right now, there's there's certain profit benchmarks, but I can imagine a time where maybe like there will be pollution benchmarks that could drive markets. Who knows? But be, because we'll be forced to think like that. I think that the world in the next you know, decade or so is going to be forced to start actively thinking about the long-term implications of where we put our money and the actions that we we create as a society. And so I think for, for women, that is a huge opportunity to step up and really use some of that big picture thinking 
empathy, long-term like emotional awareness to make these sorts of decisions and to formulate visions for what the world could be and to really stand our ground and find ways to funnel capital into that vision that we have. And so I think that there is such a unique moment in time right now for women to really step up. And I think the way we're going to have to is first to do the inner work. As I mentioned, like that that's where it starts with the individual woman being like, I am so powerful. Now watch me blow this up. Um, so after the inner work, it's to then push yourself out of your comfort zone and really think about like from an investment in capital and money power perspective is like, mm-hmm. what industries are overlooked or what areas are people hesitant to go into where I could make a really big impact. And so that's something that I have been thinking about a lot as I start shaping my longer term investment thesis Mm -hmm. uh, personally and what industry that I'll be going in, because I know that I will always be focused on empowering women. That's what my I'm writing my book about. That's what I'm launching my podcast on. But while that will happen, like what other industry can I go into, like niche that can make a, a significant impact where I can stand out as a leader and command capital? And then also use it as a case, right? A use exactly. case and say, okay, great. We can apply whatever learnings here with some slight tweaks. So to that end, are there certain industries that you you are bullish on? that you feel comfortable sharing or will that take away from the book? Um, Well, I am always bullish on women. um, So I invest in a number of female founded companies, but one area that I am uh, really focusing on, and this is, you know, as a, as a Chinese American, um, an area that it's almost like going back to my roots. So I've been doing a lot of research and reconnection with my heritage. And, Mm -hmm. and as I look into the future, just, I think geographical diversification for investors has never been more important. And I believe that diversifying into China will be one of the greatest investment opportunities post-COVID. As a woman who was born and raised in America, very Western individualistic mentality that I've grown up with, I've been studying a lot of the, the rise and fall of empires Mm. and how new world orders come together. And I think it is absolutely naive for anyone to believe that this current world order is going to continue. Rome, Egypt, Great Britain, they all thought that they were going to be forever the empire that leads the world. And that's not true. And now I think investors unlike back then, can have a stake in both sides. You know, someone can say, I'm certain that the U.S. is going to come out on top no matter what. U.S. tech is where it's at. Western tech is where it's at. Or you can say, as a smart investor, I would much rather be diversified and win either way. And I want to make sure that I have my money in developing countries, in China, in emerging markets, and um, make sure that I see where the new technology, where the new ideas, um, where these are coming from. And so, you know, I'm talking from a purely investor standpoint, which is um, looking at diversification and and seeing how often China's market outcomes are largely uncorrelated with other developed countries. I've always felt that emerging markets, if people are comfortable with it, I think that that's where true innovation takes place, just because so often there's sort of that standard resource dearth that people don't have access. So they really have to, I mean, really do true innovation 
that mm-hmm. doesn't occur elsewhere and can't occur elsewhere yeah. as a result of it all. Yeah. yeah. If, if you even look at the way, I mean, crypto is being regulated versus developed. In developing countries, governments are trying to bring the technology to life and make it more standard. And in developed countries, they're trying to regulate it because it's a threat to the current order. Exactly. And I'm so glad because that's where I wanted us to go next was talking about crypto. You know, it's the darling of the day is, you know, friend, foe, is it good for the environment? Is it bad for the environment? You know, what are your thoughts, you know, as you look in, in a crystal ball when you're thinking long term? And I think the, the obviously the impact that it can have. And it's just to me, it's the first steps that we're seeing in the financial system as we know it changing, 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 changing. And it may just one day, you know, kaboom, be done. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, everybody's got their wallet going. Yeah, I mean, right now, I think when people talk about blockchain, they think about cryptocurrencies, they think about the markets and and memes and NFTs and like all, all this stuff that's happening, um, which by all intents and purposes, it could very much be a bubble. But I think where I am bullish on is the actual technology and the infrastructure and how the the values that are inherently built into it of transparency and communication and community that disintermediate and take back power for the people. You know, I, I very much am for power and profit to the people. And so it's very different when you think about it from like, I'm trying to profit off of it because like my life is already really good versus, you know, someone in a developing country where they have family that sends remittances back and the banks will take significant fees, you know, double digit percentage fees. And they like, that's a big difference to the receiver or someone who goes into a bank to get a loan and they don't have a credit score. They don't have the right ID. They don't have the right racial profile, the right gender, and they are punished for that. And with blockchain, it says, I don't care. Like, whatever you look like, whoever you are, like, if you need the loan and it works, it works. Right. Um, or stories about, you know, girls in uh, the Middle East who can't have any financial independence because they need their father to open a bank account, their husband. And then as long as they have a Wi-Fi connection, they can start a business using blockchain technology and get paid and and create financial independence as much as possible for themselves. And so I think that these are the types of stories that interest me and that keep me hopeful about the future of the technology, no matter how I think some of the more hyped up trends fare. What you point out is really great. It's not, is it going to happen? It already is. And oh, by the way, it has been. So Mm -hmm. let's get on the bandwagon and let's get smart about what's actually already taking place, which then again, you know, um, no, I won't say it completely de-risks, but it certainly helps everyone feel a little bit more comfortable. And then how fantastic to see these populations who normally aren't really seen as, you know, business leaders or founders, et cetera, because they haven't been supported in the past, having the ability to do it. And then, oh my gosh, if they're able to do it, I can do it, which yeah. it just creates this whole next generation of amazing talent and and company and value system really because at the end of the day to your point that internal work is so important 
but the values and how we're measuring success and what we're measuring in the first place has got to have a big shift. Yeah. And it, it really does, like, I think it all comes back to getting grounded in your values and your purpose. And that's the stuff I ask myself every day, or I, I always try to realign myself with, you know, is this is this in line with my values and my truth? Because it's it's easy to get wooed by the shiny object and the the money and whatever opportunities are coming and to always go back and say, these are my values and this is my purpose. And if it doesn't align with that, I, I can't do it. And I think the beauty of that, when you do do that too, it gives you such clarity and permission to say no to things. Because I mm-hmm. think that's the other issue, right? There's so much FOMO. Oh my gosh, what if I don't and I did it wrong? But at the end of the day, if it isn't you, it's going to fail anyway eventually. So you can either waste a ton of your energy and heart and effort, or you can just get really smart and say, you know what? Not my gig, not going to work, got to pass on. So with that in mind, you know, what exists today that you think in five years won't? The first thing that came to mind was a lot of BS rules (laughs) that limit people. So I was just talking to a friend about BS rules on work culture, in particular, having been in finance and tech and this belief that like you must constantly be hustling, you must constantly be working to be productive. And and we've drilled that in, you know, like work harder, hustle harder, like get more gains. And as humans, but I think especially as women, um, we are not meant to work like that. <laughs> the business world has been built by and for men. The way our time is allocated is built by and for men. Even as I've been listening to like my body's need to rest, my body's need to have time and space to process information that has come into my purview in order to make better decisions and realizing that like getting me for 10 hours at 40% and diminishing marginal returns is not as effective as getting me maybe for like three, four hours where you're getting me at like 90, 100% and I'm delivering outcomes. And so I think there there will be a shift in how we perceive, I hate the term work-life balance, but our lives and how we allocate time intentionally to different things that matter because it's not just bottom line profit. Yeah, the way I've started looking at it is, especially now, you know, being here based in the U.S. and working with a Nordic company, which has got a whole different set of values and rhythm, frankly, is I look at it now as work-life rhythm. Mm. Just because I think, to your point, there and and then you start the externalities, right? What's going on with nature? What's going on with all these cycles? And um, I think it'll be really interesting, especially now that COVID really was this big reset where the day the world stood still and everyone realized we're connected and we can't keep doing everything the same way. And it gave some people who were some of the biggest drivers the opportunity to rethink how they're doing things. And I'm curious to see and hopeful that people will will stick to that, right? Stick to what they discovered and um, continue to be brave and stepping forward and, and sitting in the discomfort of doing something new different than how you've done it in the past and realizing 
it does just because it feels ugh, doesn't mean it's wrong. It actually could be right because what you were doing was so unhealthy. Yeah, I think it's really these subtle shifts in like social norms of what's right. acceptable, what's not acceptable. Because you've already seen the way Gen Z has shifted the discussion around mental health, and uh, in such a short time period, and like that's a that's a huge social norm that's shifted. Exactly. Exactly. And a lot, so many formerly uh, taboo conversations or that which had just so much triggering around it. They're getting more normalized. They're more. And really what, what came to me when you were just saying the piece about, you know, the stories, all the way the work has been and the way people have described it, it's and, and success, et cetera. They're just stories through a specific lens and it's all made up anyway. And it's all mm -hmm. based on something that happened hundreds of years ago, you know, in terms of industrial evolution. And so it's never changed. And so yeah. it's no surprise that it's taking on a little bit of rust and then some. Yeah. I mean, I always think about like, what if we had a matriarchal society? Like, I, I know that that has existed in some parts of the world before, but how different would the world be? And so, you know, I, I wish that at some point in my life I could see that shift. I think that takes a while, but, you know, things can change quickly when, when people realize how, like, what they want and how powerful they can be. But that's, that's work that both women and men need to do. So many of us are still ingrained in these old ways of thinking around, like, you know, industrialism, patriarchy, and just, like, thinking that they should be a certain way. Um, and so if you can continue to like do that work for yourself and say like, these are the things I stand for and these are the things I don't, I work with a number of coaching clients. We talk about how do you call out BS? And when I say that, it's like when you go to mostly male networking events, which are all the ones that I go to, um, knowing that you will be perceived a different way. And then sometimes these events hire models and then they view all women the same and will automatically assume that you maybe don't have anything valuable to contribute or things that happen when, you know, inappropriate comments. And how do you stand your ground as a woman and just say, that was inappropriate? Or when someone cuts you up, like, I'm actually not done talking. I'm going to continue saying my point and then you can talk. But it's, it's like not allowing those things and speaking up when you see things that don't align with your values and see disrespect. And you're like, if this doesn't change, I walk away. Yeah. So what are three things that you think, two to three things that you really think people should be paying attention to right now that you yourself are? And, and they could be from a form of either inspiration, something that's inspiring you, or something that you think is an issue that you really want people to be aware of? I mean, I think one area that I am very interested in is women's health. It's incredible the amount of things that we don't know about the female body. And that is a multi-trillion dollar opportunity when you think about everything from fertility to post-menopause, the way women's bodies change in our hormonal balances, the way the healthcare system treats women's bodies like small men, I think there's a huge opportunity there. And I've seen a lot more come out in the fem care space. Anyone who can, like if men understood, like could do that space, that's a huge leg up too. And I would be very impressed with any man who said that like they 
we're looking into the femcare space, women's health, because there's a reason why, like, if you just look at what happened in Texas recently with the abortion laws, like, we are still trying to control women's bodies. Mm-hmm. And anyone who can, like, really figure out this area and how we can get more funding into it, that's something that I'm really passionate about. Um, three things, three things. Well, you don't have to do three. If that's, that's a big one, Lisa, yeah. seriously. Yeah. Femtech's huge. Yeah. And I agree. I keep waiting for the men that are already existing in the whole financial space and VC space, et cetera, investing space in general to think about everything for their daughters. Mm-hmm. You know, do you really want things to continue as they are? I, I had the yeah. opportunity to speak uh, with Jen Renault, who's the associate media director for Publicist Health. And she's a recent um, transitioned person. And she was sharing how prior to transitioning, she sort of gave a lot of lip service to, yeah, 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 this woman's thing and people not being listened to, et cetera. Mm, sure, I've seen it kind of. And then she transitioned and she said she was stunned at how people who knew her both before and now treated her differently and from mm. all sorts of angles. And she was just shocked and stunned. You know, and now her father has really taken up a rallying cry to be supportive, which is, you know, some of the some of the lovely shifting that can take place, right? When we all mm-hmm. start experiencing a lot of this on our own personal fronts. But yeah. I keep waiting for men to ex- start experiencing it or have loved ones so that that can potentially wake them up. And then they also recognize that this is over half the population of course it's going to be a good investment yeah i mean if you just look at the trends there are as more and more women rise up in their careers like we are getting married later we're having kids later you know that that's something that i am working through right now it's like the egg freezing process like how does that how do we go through that what are the implications of that and it's having to push back against societal pressure and say like that's just not something I'm interested in in this phase in my life. And for men who have said that, it's been normal. Just good job. Keep going. Ambition. And for a woman to say that at a certain age is why is she being rebellious? Why is she being selfish? Making independent choices as a woman has constantly been labeled as selfish and rebellious. And that's the type of thing where it's like, well, it wouldn't be if the healthcare system like really normalized things and like gave these options and the fact that I it's hard for me to find information about this even still like comparatively or find friends who have done it because they haven't talked about it um means it's still taboo yeah which reminds me of what we were just talking about um mental wellness Mm -hmm. all right well so I want to close with your giving listeners a call to action and call it what would your rebel yell be What's one step you want people to do? Because we at uh, at Catapult really believe that inside every person is a change maker and who makes impact and that every business can be a force for good. So what would you urge folks to do? Uh, One of my mantras is just never settle. (laughs) Um, It's very simple. And it's not settling for, I think about from the day-to-day, like, disrespect, bad behavior, rudeness, time wasters, 
you know, it's like you don't settle for that. Um, you don't settle for a dream that's smaller out of fear. I think often it's out of fear or um, you don't settle for a life that is in accordance to the status quo just because everyone says that that's what you should do. You don't settle for a self, you know, your own truth, again, because people try to put you in a box. And so I think, like, for me, it's before we came online, you're like, how do we introduce you? You have so many different titles. And that that has stressed me out in the past because I'm like, I don't, I don't know which title I'm going to be today. But that's why so much of what I think about is very holistic. It's, mm-hmm. it's like philosophical in that, like, what does it mean to be the most powerful and authentic version of me? And how does work and my purpose and my personal life and my relationships and my family, how does that all integrate together? And so is there a mantra that goes through all of it? And I think it, for me, who is, who is someone who's very ambitious, who wants to make a big impact, who wants to constantly be learning and growing, uh, and building this idea of never settling is is just like push comes to shove. If you have to make a decision and you don't know what to do, just say to yourself, like, never settle. Like, am I settling in this decision? <laughs> if so, then try the other one. Choose you mm-hmm. when pushed. Oh, my gosh. Lisa Carmen Wang. Well, first off, good luck on on the book. Mm-hmm. I would love to have another conversation and I know I'd love to support it. I know the Catapult community would join me in doing so. So um, please uh, let's stay in touch because I really do want to, I want to support you in this effort. Your work in this end is incredible. It's a deep passion of mine as well. Yeah. Part of my thank life you. purpose. Yeah. And just yeah. in general, thank you for everything that you're doing. Uh, for being so holistically you in every way and for not settling because if you had we wouldn't be talking here today together well i'm i'm very proud to be part of the catapult community as well we love having you lucky us so i wish you well on everything and uh take care until our paths cross again thank you you too this is Kate Byrne with Catapult X. Thanks for downloading our podcast, Rebels with a Purpose, available wherever you get your podcasts. Look out for our next conversation with Ahmed Pradhan, co-founder of Brainfall.one and a leading voice in the world of data, AI, and the token economy. If you like what you hear in this series, join us in person at our upcoming Future Fest event. Yep, we're back in Oslo, Norway, May 18th through the 21st, 2022.